Welcome to Mindful Meeting Podcast, a weekly podcast where minds meet to empower and mold the complete family. Every week, we share stories with you focused on our spiritual, financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being and growth. And now, from the University of, well, nowhere, an expert in nothing really, but Somali tea is his specialty. Please welcome your host, King Abu. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mindful Meeting Podcast. I'm your host, King Abu. Today we'll be chatting about a topic that is uh, very relevant to us all and that I'm very excited about. And, uh, I believe it's a topic that we all, or something that we all yearn for. And even when you look at the Noble Quran, chapter 30, verse 21, Allah talks about that He will place between a couple, Mawadda and Rahma. So today we get to talk about love, dating, spousal selection, and much more. And I'm even more thrilled to have an amazing guest with us today who is not only highly intellectual, but passionate about this very topic as well. Our special guest today is Sister Marzia Hassan. Brace yourself, guys, because this uh, bio or resume is lengthy, but wow, quite impressive, right? So Sister Marzia Hassan is an author. She's a public speaker and a marriage and family therapist within, uh, working with individuals, family members, and couples. After starting her own family, she realized that her true passion is empowering <clears throat> Excuse me, it's empowering and strengthening families to create intentional and healthy relationships. Marzia now works as a social worker and relationship consultant with individuals, couples, and families. After obtaining her master's in social work from the University of Toronto, uh, she started Family Connections International. It's a psychotherapy practice based in Toronto and online. Having lived, studied, and experienced life on three different continents, Marzia combines Western scientific thought and blends it in with Eastern spiritual wisdom to bring a unique and practical aspect to her work with families. In addition to providing counseling, Marzia uh, facilitates various parenting, self-development, and spiritually learning groups for youth, uh, adults and families all over the world, including U.S., Canada, Australia, and I mean, Europe and South Asia. She's also the author of three books. And finally, Marzia also publishes a daily blog called Daily Wisdom. Trust me on this one. You will love her daily uh, wisdom because I receive it and read it every day, and I'm learning something new from her every day. I promise you, you'll find her very insightful. And she's also the host of the Family Connections podcast and the mother of three conscious young adults, leaving her now with her empty nest in Toronto. Uh, Marzia, I am both humbled and so honored to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for that uh, lovely introduction. Happy oh, yes. to be here. I'm glad you're here. It was lovely indeed. So before we get started, I have a riddle for you. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So a doctor and a bus driver are both in love with the same woman named Sarah. The bus driver has to go on a long bus drive uh, or bus trip that would last a week. Okay, so before he leaves, he gives Sarah seven apples. Why? So he's gone for a week? Yes. Okay, maybe eat an apple every day? I'm not oh sure. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> an apple a day <laughs> keeps the doctor away, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm terrible at it, by the way. <laughs> oh man, you are on the right track. I thought you actually got it. Oh, yeah, he was trying to secure his lady. <laughs> yeah. Allah. Okay, so I'm gonna um throw a lot of stats in your direction. Okay. So according to YouGov and eHarmony, within the first three months, men profess love to their partner, while women take about four and a half months. 
And even more is that 39% of men say I love you within a month, while only 23% of, of women feel that way. Another survey that was published in 2017 found that 72% of men and 61% of women believe in love at first sight, all right? And psychologist and sex therapist Lauren Mercy explains that there can be a strong attraction at first sight, but romantic love for someone requires knowing who they are, the fullness of their character. So with all that in mind, uh, my first question to start this episode is, is the word love thrown around too loosely? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think, again, it comes back to how you define love, right? And love can be many different things to many different people. And as we know, there's many different kinds of love. So, for example, uh, you know, when we're talking about romantic love, yes, you can fall into infatuation quite quickly. You know, you see someone and you're, you know, besotted uh, with their uh, with their looks, with, uh, quote unquote, the chemistry between you, by the way they speak, something about them attracts you and, and you can't stop thinking about them. Right. And uh, so this is definitely it is infatuation, what uh, what experts call or in, in another word, we call it limerence. Right. Limerence. And limerence is not uh, what uh, what we in the field call real love. Why? Because it takes no effort. You know, it's effortless. It's uh, it's something that happens to you. It requires no intentionality. And uh, it's it's not, um, I mean, it's definitely a fact of uh, human relationships that this does happen. And um, it's it's only the beginning, right? It's not uh, what what Hollywood and Bollywood would lead you to believe that that's the end of it. You know, you find someone with that kind of chemistry. And uh, once you get married, that's the beginning of the happy after, happily ever after. Right? And we know that real love is not like that. The, the feelings of love, uh, you know, they, they come and go. But, uh, you know, the actions of love is what keeps uh, love uh, nurtured long term. So, so that's a big difference, you know, in, in uh, what we call falling in love, uh, which is unconscious, effortless sometimes in the beginning, and uh, what we call standing in love. You know, standing in love means being intentional about it, um, you know, doing what it takes. So loving actions as opposed to just loving feeling. Some intentionally being, doing actions. I love that. Um, speaking of love, a hadith that comes to mind for me is um, it's been reported that Imam Sadiq salam said that marry who you love, don't uh, love who you marry, don't marry who you love, right? So we all know that, like you were saying earlier, this Hollywood, Bollywood, and all the woods in the world um, depict this rosy fairy tale of what love is supposed to be. So uh, my question is, does love actually come after the marriage or before, during the dating stage or getting to know each other's stage? That's a, a million-dollar question. <laughs> and whenever I say a million-dollar question, means that there's no easy answer to it. Right. Right? <laughs> so, um, again, it, de it really depends on how you define love. You know, love is not something with a, with a universally accepted definition. Yeah. Okay. Can you enjoy spending time with someone? Absolutely. You know, can you, you feel comfortable with them? Uh, can you have chemistry? You know, all of these things are possible, right? And when you think of love as doing the best for the other person, sacrificing, uh, committing yourself, having um, having an investment, doing something for, for the other person, sometimes at the expense of yourself. You know, if that's what you mean by love, then um, it definitely grows. You know, it grows with time, you know, but at the end of it, uh, there's so much research out there now that, uh, you know, a strong relationship is actually one of the best things you can do for yourself. Better than giving up smoking, better than exercising, better than eating healthy. I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, that's what all the all the long term happiness research is showing that the number one thing that you need that you can do for your own happiness is is form strong relationships. Wow. That's very profound. Um, inshallah, may Allah Almighty um, help us all to find those uh, partners. Um, so despite the many platforms that we have today, right, apps and websites um, designed or that offer matrimonial services, 
we still see lots of singles around the world, right? So why is this? Why are there so many challenges? Or what are the challenges these days of finding a spouse? Um, okay. Uh, so there are, you know, clearly many, many challenges uh, in forming, you know. So the way I look at it, there's actually three different challenges, right? The first is the challenge of finding uh, somebody uh, or finding a potential uh, partner. And the second challenge is obviously of making the right decision. So even if you meet somebody, that's not the end of the end of the road you know you mm -hmm. actually have to see if that person is right for you and the third challenge even if you do find somebody who you know meets all the criteria you still have the challenge of making a marriage last and when i say last i mean uh, be in uh, happy and stable at the same time you know so so those are the three challenges and uh, and i'm not sure which one you're referring to but in terms of uh, the challenges of finding somebody um, you know that uh, you know that you could potentially settle down with uh, the first thing is that you know society is a lot more diverse today than it was you know our our, our forefathers you know before uh, we were a diaspora before we moved to uh, you know uh, canada for example i'm talking about uh, my own community we all lived in a place where everyone was similar. We knew each other for generations. Uh, you went, uh, you know, you saw each other at work, at home, in extended families. It was a much more homogenous uh, community, right? Uh, and because of that, it just made it easier. You know, you 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 found people within your social circle, kind of thing. Now, uh, you know, living in the West, we know that people come from all over the place. So even if they share faith, uh, they would have very different cultures. And Muslims today, we know, tend to be very much more polarized in religious practice, right? So, so there are people who are highly practicing, and then there are people who are not practicing at all. And, um, and uh, you know, most people fall somewhere in between. Right. Uh, that's another challenge. Another challenge is that, uh, you know, previously, like even a couple of generations ago, there were very clear norms, you know, of what what was expected of people, what they did, how they lived, how they worked, what age they got married, uh, what they studied. And and now um, not so much, you know, so so now everything is negotiable. Right. How you choose to live your life, where you study, how you, you know, what uh, what area you work in and and because uh, of these reasons obviously it is um, although the pool has increased you know we are exposed to more people in one sense uh, that uh, you know we can find but also to find someone from from such a large pool somehow becomes more challenging i don't know if that makes sense definitely it does because when you have a lot of you know decisions or choices in front of you it's hard to navigate through all of them as opposed to when you have only few to select from, right? Exactly. That's yeah. very, very true. Yeah. So when we embark, embark on this journey of finding this soulmate or a partner, right, and building this bond and establishing some sort of love, we start dating. I noticed from my experience anyway that a lot of people date out of loneliness or sometimes this familial pressure, especially in the case of a girl, the biological clock is ticking, all of these things, right? Societal expectations. Um, my question is, in your professional opinion or even personal, what should be the reasons or intentions of why we should get married? Ooh, okay. Um, I can tell you what are some not good reasons. <laughs> and you know, if you are, uh, you know, getting married to somebody only because of social pressure, right? Only because your family is uh, pressuring you to do that. That's not a good reason to get married. Uh, and the reason being that, you know, anything we do uh, has to be with choice. You know, if we feel that we have no choice in it, uh, we can't give it our all or generally we don't. And uh, I see way too many um, relationships not succeed, not because there's anything wrong with, with the people involved, but simply because they started out on the wrong foot. You know, they, they have this baggage uh, that I never wanted this. You know, I only got, uh, you know, because in, in the couple therapy world, we always start by reminding a couple, uh, you know, who Why? have, who have mm. started out 
liking each other right so we take them back to that time and and tell let them tell their story but what i find in forced relationships uh, they don't have that they don't have that good feeling or the good memories to go back to what they have is uh, somebody pressured me this person seemed like a like a you know okay guy so i just said yes or an okay girl right and that's you know if it's not a bad thing to to listen to your parents and and uh, start the search if uh, you know if you feel you're ready and sometimes even if you don't feel you're ready it's it's a good idea to listen to wisdom right from uh, from elders absolutely when you make the decision though you have to be very clear that it comes from your choice right uh, people can influence you they can say their bit but at the end of the day it's your life and you need to take responsibility so please you know um, too many times i see people ruining another life actually because they say this wasn't my choice i don't I don't like you i don't want you i just did it because my mama said so and you know I'm not in this. Yeah. And those kinds of relationships are really heartbreaking. They're heartbreaking actually. Absolutely. Um <clears throat> that really resonates with me because especially the last part of when you said you can really really ruin somebody's um life, right? Uh cuz divorce is not something to be taken lightly and it can really debilitate you and demoralize you, you know? Um but um in the beginning of a new relationship, there's this aura of the excitement, the happiness of getting to know someone for the first time. You're dating each other. You're trying to build this relationship, right? And we tend to sometimes wear rosy glasses and become very subjective because we get emotionally attached to them. So sometimes we don't see things objectively, right? Um, are there any warning signs that you would say, and when you're, that, that kind of gives you the nudge to know that you're making a bad decision? Uh, okay, again, very good question. So um, here's the thing. I'm really in favor of wearing rose-colored glasses, okay? <laughs> I'm really in favor of wearing rose-colored glasses after you're married, <laughs> you know after after you are married it's a wonderful thing to do to mm. actually look at your spouse with all their uh, positive qualities and uh, not pay so much attention to their shortcomings which we mm. all have you right. know when we do that before however you know when we when you do that before really knowing them and uh, before you get married obviously you are setting yourself up for a lot of issues okay yeah. so so before you uh, commit to someone you really need to be realistic you know you need to be realistic about uh, who they are what they represent and what your challenges are going to be uh, and and you know my standard advice to men any couples is please don't marry a project right so mm -hmm. if you you know if you see somebody and you think okay this person has potential and here are the list of things that uh, i'm going to work on changing uh, and then we'll be okay and the bad news is that uh, that's setting yourself up for for disappointment right because everyone changes definitely and people change on their own agenda not on our agenda right Absolutely. so if we think that you know this is something i really don't like about the person and i'm going to change it it is not a good idea you know it's much better to be okay with who they are at that point mm. and then inshallah of course both of you will grow but uh, you know it's it's never a good idea to have an agenda for somebody else's uh, you know for somebody else's improvement right absolutely um does that make sense and we can obviously talk about warning you know what are some warning signs because uh, they're definitely there yeah what are those warning signs so you know very often again when i meet couples who are in trouble uh, it turns out that it wasn't you know sometimes people think oh why didn't i why didn't i know this this was you know it was um, i you know um, like i had no warning right but actually uh, very often there are signs you know there are definite what we call red flags but uh, in you know because of maybe pressure or because of those rose colored glasses it's it's hard to see and and you miss them you know you miss uh, looking at things which uh, are actually 
you know, really important to look at. So what are some of the warning signs of difficult, potentially difficult spouses? Okay. One is little insight or self-knowledge. So if I'm, whenever if I'm in trouble, I am always blaming somebody else. You know, I never take responsibility for my stuff. Uh, I always think it's somebody else's fault. Uh, that's going to be an issue because uh, no matter how much you try, there will be conflict in your relationship, right? And ideally, uh, both people, as long as they do their part, they take responsibility for at least part of, of the issue. There's hope, right? You can work at it. But if one person just, you know, is always blaming the other, person it it's a challenge to live with them okay secondly uh it's what we call poor emotional regulation in other words you know you just go by whatever feeling you have you have no ability or very little ability to actually feel something and still behave in an appropriate way so for example if you feel angry you have just no ability to control that anger you know you will express it in in inappropriate ways um, become violent perhaps perhaps, or, or critical, or whatever that is, okay? So being able to regulate emotionally is a very important skill in relationships because, again, even if you're married to a saint, they will annoy you at times. You know, that's just the reality of relationships, okay? Right. So you, you need that ability to feel the annoyance but not act out in, in an aggressive or, or a damaging way, okay? And then the third thing is, uh, you know, just really poor relationship skills, like not, uh, you know, having very little, like, for example, if a person has never had a long-term relationship, and I don't mean romantic, I mean um, friendships, you know, if they don't get along with family, if they have uh, no other people in their lives that they are close to or or they, they can count on. And if they're like by now 25, 30, uh, that's, a, you know, it's kind of a red flag because if you've lived in a place for a long time, if you have extended family members, you can, one can understand if you don't get along with one, two or three people. Right. But if there, uh, if you have poor relationships with everyone around you, that's a problem. And, and that's something that you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Cause you're the common denominator. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, um, I love the what you said. Um, don't marry a project. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that because it's true. We try to change people, you know, like week or two weeks into the relationship. We're also we're already giving them like laundry list of things we should change about them. Don't marry a project. So um, we know that <laughs> when two people decide to get married. Both families are also involved. They're merging together, and they play a pivotal role both during the uh, dating stage, if you will, and afterwards, too, because they do become families after all, right? So I guess that said, my question is, <clears throat> how important is it to get to know the family of that potential spouse before making that big decision? Oh, I would say it's extremely important uh, because one of the challenges that young couples have today is uh, what we call incubator relationships. Incubator relationships means that, for example, if you meet somebody at university, you know, both of you are away from home. And uh, so you have your own little bubble. You know, university is a bubble. It's not real life, right? Uh, and you meet somebody and you like each other, but you haven't really seen them interact with, uh, you know, you haven't seen how they work, you haven't seen their family relationships, you haven't, so you actually know very little about that person, okay? And and it's a good thing to to ask questions, to do a little bit of investigation, and, and the reason why family is particularly important, and by the way, both Islam and science, they both recommend that that's one thing that you really do need to pay attention to, uh, is the family background. Because uh, we learn everything, uh, you know, from our families, and most of it is unconscious. So, you know, what it means to be a spouse, what it means to be a husband, a wife, a daughter, uh, who shares power, who does what, uh, what are the expectations, um, you know, um, how to handle conflict, uh, how to be kind to people, you know, most of this is learned uh, pre-consciously, uh, right? Before we are conscious of it, we have already taken all of this in. So to get to know a family is tells you a lot about the person, right? Uh, and, and again, if you come from a distance, 
dysfunctional family. You know, that's not your fault, right? Uh, and uh, it's not the end of the game. So it doesn't mean that anyone who has, for example, um, uh, you know, one of the things that I would look at first is how do the parents get along? You know, because mm-hmm. if the parents have a strong relationship, it's very likely that the the person, the the potential spouse, has picked up on some of that unconsciously. Right. You know, uh, what it takes to to make a marriage uh, healthy over long term. Now, what if they don't have that fortune? You know, what if their their parents can't get along with each other? Right? Uh, it's not the end of the story, but the person needs to do some work. You know, they need to to uh, to figure out to, uh, what uh, they would like to do different in their relationship, uh, you know, at least to recognize what's a healthy pattern and not, unhe- uh, uh, not a healthy pattern. So, for example, if someone has grown up with violence in the home, unless they've actually confronted that question and, um, uh, you know, decided that this is actually not okay, they are likely to repeat it, right? So so these are things that, you know, the person who doesn't have a strong family background, and when I mean by a strong family background, I mean a healthy functioning family, you know, you need to learn uh, from what went wrong and not repeat the same mistakes, you know. And again, intentionality means that you actually decide what your relationship is going to be like rather than slide, you know, just uh, just drift into decisions, drift into a relationship and, and make the same mistakes, uh, you know, that were made. So, so definitely there's a lot of hope. Uh, you need to do work. That's all. <laughs> Absolutely. Know. Thank you. Slide instead of uh, decide instead of slide. I like that. So um, we're, we're speaking about families, right? Um, and this is especially the case for the girls because generally in our culture, in our faith, men are considered to be the main breadwinners, if not the only breadwinners, right? So my question is, how important is money in the equation when seeking a spouse, right? Should you wait to, quote unquote, stand on your own two feet before committing to get married or do you build an empire together from you know scratch? How does that work? Okay, okay. So really good question. So here's the thing: Do you need to have some? You know, do you able to at least be able to feed yourself before you bring a spouse into the picture? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and again, Islam says financial competence is actually one of the filters that you use in order to uh, find a spouse. Okay. The problem is today that the standards of uh, financial well-being have become so impossibly high that people are waiting for a long time to to settle down because they think they cannot satisfy the needs of their spouse, and that's a really unhealthy. Um, you know, it, it's it's not uh, okay on many different levels. First of all, let's just look at the stats. Married people tend to do better at work. You know, they tend to uh, to do better financially. Why? Because they have support, right? They, there's somebody taking care of other things so that they can focus on work. Just if you look at it really in a very basic way, okay? Secondly, um, you know, to, and I think it's, it's both uh, the person who's expecting the high standard of living and the person who's feeling pressured. Both have a role to play in this, okay? So to think, um, you know, to have it all figured out um, and to be like really well off financially in your early 20s uh, or mid 20s or even early 30s when you're starting out, it's it's a tall order. You know, it's it's a very tall order for, for young people and it puts enormous pressure on them. And it's unnecessary pressure, right? So once you get married, there is nothing stopping you from from doing better financially, you know, that will grow. You don't have to start out by wanting everything. If you already have everything when you start out, what you what's your goal, right? What are you going to work <laughs> towards? So so it's it's really not a good idea to have it as long as you have a job or some income. Right. And you're able to feed yourself, you know, have a roof on your head. It doesn't have to be like it could be just rental or whatever mm-hmm. you know again it's the potential right if you have and and money is the thing that it comes and goes so even if you have a great financial thing ahead of you you could lose it all tomorrow right? Absolutely. but if you have the ability to work hard if you're motivated you want to take care of yourself and your family those things are lasting 
you know, those are not easy to change. So if a person is motivated, they are hardworking, they have, you know, they are, they are studied, you know, they've got some skill, uh, then you'll be okay, inshallah, even if right now they're making very little money. Indeed. Um, I've never personally heard of any man <clears throat> who was uh, trying to propose to a woman who didn't have his bills covered, you know, so it just wouldn't make sense when you cannot even take care of your bills to look for a marriage. Um, I think most of the time we are financially ready to settle down, but I think, um, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, please, but from my observations in a way, I've noticed that a lot of the time it's probably stemming from the girl and or her family side to put this pressure on the man to provide a certain standard of living. Uh, sometimes, yes, I will, uh, you know, from, and I'm just talking about what I see, you know, what comes in front of me. And of course, that's a skewed image. I, I understand because only the problems, right? People who yes, are yeah. happily married don't show up in my office. Okay. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah. Yes, there is definitely a pressure uh, from uh, women in particular to marry into some sort of status. And and very often it may not even be, it's it's just because it looks good. <laughs> you know, it looks good on Instagram. The wedding will be fancy and you can post great pictures. And uh, we've really lost the plot in some sense because those things... Um, they have very little uh, to do with actual happiness or well-being. You know, it's it's actually really short-lived and uh, and not, um, but the pressure is definitely there. You know, we can't really uh, deny that the pressure is there. And, um, you know, so I we here, I have a very good friend who's a jeweler and she's, um, she's always telling stories about how uh, young couples, you know, they come, uh, and they, uh, you know, the expectation is uh, from the woman that she is going to get a two-carat diamond. And I am stunned. You know, what my friend tells me is that there is um, uh, there is a lot of pressure. And, and she, in fact, often wants to tell, uh, to tell, listen, you know, don't put yourself under so much financial strain right from the beginning. Right. Because the the pressure to live up to something that you are not financially able to do, that's going to impact your marriage for sure. Absolutely. Right? The, the, the stress of debt and of um, is going to add, is going to add up quite quickly. Uh, and that's something that uh, very often young couples, they don't they don't recognize what they're taking on. Absolutely. Um, and then on top of all of the wedding expenses and the gifts and everything, then there's the dowry that unfortunately has become a, like a business transaction in today's time. So that's yeah, a very heavy uh, responsibility on the men, I think. So in this era when instant gratification isn't even instant enough, right? Um, is it healthy? Because sometimes there's this FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And we want to date multiple partners at the same time, you know, just so we can make the most informed decision. But that could also be taxing on the, on your psyche emotionally and mentally. It's very draining. So would you uh, recommend multiple uh, dating, multiple partners, or just exert all of your energy and focus on one person at a time? Ooh, <laughs> okay. Depends how much you are into torturing yourself, <laughs> because uh, it's hard enough to to make a decision when you are speaking and when you say dating. I'm assuming you mean uh, finding out about the person with the intention of marriage. Okay? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so uh, that's hard enough. When you are speaking to multiple people at one time, you are ex amount of time the stress and the you know it's it's how will you make a decision and you know again um, what we often don't realize that the dating world in uh, in the west for example or in situations where they don't have the same uh, structure uh, in place as uh, as faith-based communities who are focused on finding long-term uh, relationships as opposed to just casual dating it's very stressful you know how do you how do you decide you 
you know, when you've met 20 people or when you've been out with 20 people, you know, you find you like some one thing about the other person and the second thing about the other person. And then your standards grow and grow because you want it all in one person. Right. And and that's, uh, you know, there's it, one reason why. Uh, our grandparents' generation, and um, I don't even know if I want to say that, but you know, one aspect of that was that they were only exposed to that, that one person, and so whatever they saw in front of them, they adjusted. You know, they learned to love what was presented to them. Right? When we have so much choice, and when we are, uh, you know, meeting so many different people, obviously it's much more challenging. Challenging on the psyche, on emotions, on everything, right? Um, and of course, I mean, there's no going back. Uh, you know, I don't, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't uh, say that we should go back to <laughs> the previous century either. But definitely, to to be speaking multiple people at once is just adding to your own uh, stress in the situation. So I, you know, I don't really generally recommend it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> the question you asked in the beginning, it depends on how much you're into torturing yourself. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Allah. Okay. So speaking of this instant gratification, right, um, <clears throat> we get in the habit of sometimes rushing through the whole process and not <clears throat> taking a seat back and just observing the relationship and where it's headed, right? So we get into this habit of divulging information way too quickly, too soon, Right. Uh, especially from the beginning. So um, <clears throat> how much should you disclose or share with your potential partner, um, especially when you come from a dysfunctional family? Oh, okay. Um, you know, you can't really build intimacy or trust without being vulnerable, you know, without divulging of yourself. So that's the first thing. Again, if you want to to take the relationship, if you're serious about a person and you want to, uh, you know, you want to uh, get to know about the other person, you can't really get to know about the other person if you're not willing to disclose anything about yourself. Right? So it's a, yeah. it's a two way street. Number mm -hmm. one. Number two, what what experts uh, suggest is that you should definitely pace a growing attachment. We mean by pacing it is that you need time. You need uh, to see people in different situations. So if you've met at university, just meeting them mm -hmm. at university, not good enough, right? Go visit their family, see, you know, what their old friendships are, where they grew up, things like that, okay? So so this is what we mean by pacing a growing attachment. You know, once other things check out, uh, only then do you do you up the, the intimacy, even emotional intimacy uh, phase of the relationship, right? Now, the second question, which is uh, related, but a little bit different is, uh, you know, my family's really messed up. And do I tell my spouse, spouse about this or not? Okay. And the big uh, filter or the big criteria for this question is to ask, um, so is how is this going to impact my spouse after we get married? Okay. So if I have a dysfunctional family, definitely it's going to impact them somehow. Especially if it is, uh, if I'm the man and I have a dysfunctional family and my spouse is coming in to live with uh, with that family, uh, very often what happens is uh, young girls, you know, they come into the family, they have no idea what they've signed up for. And it's off the charts, okay? The, the, the in-laws have not spoken to each other in years. They live in separate bedrooms. They hate each other. They cannot, you know, bear to be in the same room. Really, she should have been. She should have known about what she was signing up for, right? Uh, so it's almost it's like a break of trust, not, not to disclose at that point. Okay, if I am living in the home with my siblings, my one sibling is uh, schizophrenic, or they're bipolar, or they have some big mental health issue which actually impacts the whole family. You know, it is how we live and how we uh, adjust. It's fine, but the person who's coming into that family really should be aware of this. You know, this is um, again, if you don't tell the person, it's it's a breach of trust actually, because it it impacts their well-being directly. 
you know if uh, if my mother hates my spouse to be and is really against the marriage that's something they should know you know so so that they can um, go into the relationship knowing what they are signing up for as best as possible uh, without being blindsided by something so major that they were not aware of right absolutely absolutely um so uh, we mentioned i think earlier that our forefathers got married for different reasons, right? Uh, it could have been out of respect, status, procreation, all these things, right? But in today's time, things are different. Women aren't financially as dependent on men as they were maybe three, four decades ago. And then on the flip side, you have men who are now playing out roles that they wouldn't have played out three, four decades ago. So the dynamics of the relationships and the roles are constantly evolving, right? And I think, in my opinion, this has led also to us being picky, both men and women, because we've also raised the standards, right? Like you mentioned earlier. So given this scenario or this uh, predicament, what is your recommendation um, without lowering our standards and thus settling, but at the same time not being very picky and having ridiculous high standards? Where do we draw that balance? Okay, uh, interesting question. So I see a few different questions in that. Uh, first is uh, the fact that we are, uh, women are not as dependent on men financially. And that is absolutely true. And it's actually one of the reasons why marriages are so fragile today. It's one of the main reasons, in fact. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it as a negative thing, but women no longer need to tolerate, which is what they were doing in the past. Let's face it, right? Women had very few options Absolutely. and they would stay in relationships which were not healthy, which may have been abusive. Dark and uh, they stuck around because they had no choice. Uh, there was less social acceptance of divorce. Their families would not accept them in many ways. And they had no, no ability to to make ends meet okay so so they stuck around so marriages in the past were stable they were not happy they may have been miserable but stable okay and uh, what has changed today is because women have more options they will no longer tolerate a relationship which is so one-sided or which is abusive or which uh, um, doesn't meet uh, their needs but now none of this is bad. You know, none of this is bad, right? So should we, um, what is called upon actually, um, because what we say is that commitment, right? Uh, you know, very often people would say, oh, there's no commitment in relationships today and they're easy to break. Absolutely. But we are really misunderstanding what commitment is, okay? So commitment is of two types. One is restraint <laughs> and the other constraint, right? Or, and the other is a dedication. So what we mean by constraint is, like, say you sign up, uh, you are, you sign up for a job where there's no out. You know, you are committed to them for one year. Okay, and so it's it's a jail sentence. You may hate that. Uh, you may uh, you know hate your job. You may hate what you're doing, but there's no way out. You've signed your soul for a year. Okay, that's constraint. Now a dedication is, you know, same job, you sign up for it, but you really work at it. You know, you do professional development, you love what you do, you are motivated to go to work, and you are dedicated to making that the best experience you can. Okay. Both are commitment, but very different types of commitment, right? And so today what's happened is that constraint commitment has gone way down, way down. Right. Because people, uh, you know, you don't have to you don't have to stick around, you know, uh, if, if it's if it's a terrible marriage, you have the choice to walk out. And by the way, Islam gave us that choice many years ago. OK, awesome. thank you. So yeah. what needs to go up to keep the scales balanced is dedication, mm. is to do things that make that relationship worthy of sticking around. And that, by the way, comes from both people. Right. No longer can it be a one person job. No longer can it be that, you know, very many women, even today, they're told that the reasons why marriages are not succeeding is because women have become very picky and women need to sacrifice and women need to self-sacrifice. Why? This is not Islam. I mean, Islam, you know, when, when, when you research it, the amount of emphasis that Islam puts 
on a man keeping the woman in his life happy is unbelievable, you know, unbelievable. So it, it's really the time has come for men to up their standards, you know. It, it's, I don't know what, how else to put it, right? Uh, because yes, the pendulum has swing, swung and yes, women don't want, when they see what their mothers went through, they don't yeah. want the same in their lives. And they shouldn't. And you can't blame them. You Absolutely. know, you cannot blame them not wanting a relationship which is um uh, which was so one sided in 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 some cases not in all by no means right but in some cases uh, and they don't want that i completely agree 100% but um do you think there's also perhaps a double standard um because on one hand women muslim women use islamic text and literature to tell men that you are the breadwinner and you should be the provider and whatnot. But under the same breath, there are also Islamic texts, whether they're considered authentic or not, but they do exist, right? And those texts may tell a woman to play out a certain role within that dynamic of that relationship. But often I see the same Muslim woman who will use the Islamic literature to tell men what to do, while at the same time they wouldn't follow those texts because it doesn't suit them. Okay. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. I think that kind of misuse is used equally by both spouses. Agreed. Equally. Okay. It's, it's not. Uh, and here's the thing that in Islam, when you are dealing with God at the end of the day, right? And uh, in life, if you focus on your role, on doing your part, that gives you power. You know, that gives you some choice in your life, right? When you are focused on what the other person should do, how they should behave, uh, and your focus is outside yourself, you have no power. No matter how much you try to uh, to act out in many ways, you have no power because you have no power to change other people or to force them to do what they don't want to do. Okay. So if, and both people definitely need to take responsibility for their action. In fact, in, in, in long time, happy relationships, spouses, you know, this, this whole myth that it should be 50, 50 is actually a big myth. It's a myth that causes a lot of hardship and heartache because people think, oh, it should be 50, 50. Uh, I should get as much as I give. No. Actually, in happy relationships, both the man and the woman give 100%. 100%. You know, they are focused on how to make the other person happy rather than what the other person is not doing to make them happy. It's a completely different mindset. So, and this is again, I, I, you know, it's, it's definitely both, uh, you know, both have a role to play in this. And yeah, each, you sense. know, in, in, every, in every conflict, I tell both people that each of you have a choice to turn this conflict around, each of you. And if you wait for the other person, keep waiting. Good luck. <laughs> You're not going to be happy, but you can keep waiting. Right? Absolutely. And, and in, in any moment, if one person is acting out or misbehaving or acting poorly, you don't have to follow them. You don't have to go down that path. Exactly. You know, as long so, as you keep within your values and your circle of control and focus on that, uh, it will actually encourage the other person to do the same. But the minute the blame game starts and, you know, you should change first and you should do that, that's, uh, it's a recipe. It's a rep- recipe for misery, right? Not for happiness. And this era we live in, there's so many platforms, right? We talked about the apps and the websites that offer uh, matrimonial services. So now let's say that we found someone that we're interested in and maybe we even like them, right? So when we're dating online behind the screen, uh, virtually, how soon should we introduce the families to one another? Should the parents be involved and informed right from the beginning or we we wait till we see if we, we can build compatibility for it? Okay, so um, I don't think there's an easy answer for every situation. If you've, uh, you know, if you um, have been meeting, uh, you know, if you've been talking to many people and and your parents are aware, for example, that you are on a dating website, okay, and that you are meeting people, 
maybe they don't have to be informed of every single person that you are potentially matched with and you have nothing in common with, right? Uh, that is one way to look at it. And, and again, the online dating world is a whole different conversation, okay? I'm not, um, at this point, we are not talking about the merits or demerits of it. Um, at the minimum, your parents should know that you are on this site, right? Because here's the thing, when you withhold information from um from people that you are close to, your parents, your spouse, whoever, uh, it just breeds mistrust. You know, so so this is a you know it's a big thing, uh, and uh, you know from the parents' perspective, what happens is that uh, you know coming to this age, and I'm at that age, right? When when kids are looking to settle down, it's uh, it's a very anxious time. It's an anxious time for the kids. It's a very anxious time for mothers in particular. And they get, um, you know, they share their anxiety with their children all the time. So, for example, if, you, if you've met somebody, you've been, uh, you know, you have seen them or spoken to them once, uh, the mothers are very known to be questioning the people all the time. What's happening? What's happening? Keep me updated. And uh, this causes uh, lots of anxiety all around. So the more the mother pushes, the more the child is, uh, you know, backs off, right? And, and and this is a very common scenario. So how to, you know, how to deal with that? First of all, obviously, be upfront as much as you can, you know, speaking to the child, um, you know, keep them informed before they have to ask you. So, for example, if you are meeting people, it's a good idea to say, you know, mom, I uh, I don't know where we stand right now. I, I haven't made a decision, but let's, you know, let's talk about it every couple of weeks or every month or however, you know, long you think, you know, let's, uh, you know, don't ask me every time I have a conversation, Let, let's just keep aside a time. So you're actually preempting this because if you don't do that, mother is always wondering what's going on with you and you are always backing off, right? But if you're actually upfront about it, say, yes, we're meeting and I'm not ready to make a decision and you'll be the first one to know um, and, and let's keep each other updated on what's happening, then it's a much healthier, you've like preempted a lot of the strife that uh, that may come about, right, as a result of this. Uh, so um, while you're in that stage, you're still trying to figure out this person. Um, a hadith comes to mind. Uh, Imam Ali, peace be upon him, says that um, you really don't know a person until you live with them, travel with them, or do business with them, right? So with that in mind, obviously living together is not an option. Um, so we tend to send representatives of ourselves to our potential partners so that we can impress them. They may like us and all these things, right? So, and that prevents us from being real and honest with ourselves and with our potential partner. So my question, I guess, is how can we be sure, right, who's a fake one, who's uh, pretending to be someone they're not? Had other tools, basically, that will, help us, uh, that will help us to navigate, to weed out the fake ones from the real ones? Hmm. Okay, so first of all, let's start with um, we send representatives. Okay, that's the Islamic recommendation. Okay, it is to go through an indirect means in the first instance. I'm not saying all the time, oh. but in the first instance. No, right? that's not what I meant. Not like a wakil or like that. Like we rep uh, send our representatives a version of us that's not real because we're pretending oh. to be someone we're not. That's what I meant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, it depends, right? Are you showing up as your best self? Mm, which mostly or happens. A fake self? Two right. different things, right? Mm. So, again, uh, and that's why we need to pace a growing attachment. Right. We can't really, uh, you know, the first couple of times we meet somebody. So, you know, again, there are ways uh, to to get to know a person and, and what you pay attention to. You know, because very often we don't know what to pay attention to. You know, we get, um, you know, the filters we have are usually looks, their height, their, you know, color of skin, they are uh, job, degree, you know, all of these things. And none of this, by the way, matters in long-term well-being. They're not predictive of marital happiness, okay? Mm. So what are some of the things that are predictive that you really should pay attention to? Again, we've already talked about family background. Right. So think of it as faces, getting to know the faces of someone. OK, so the first F is family background. 
The second is uh, attitudes and actions of conscience, or what we would call um, uh, in in uh, spiritual terms, akhlaq. You know, uh, what is their behavior like? What are they? Uh, you know, how developed is their uh, is their internal moral guidance system? You know, are they kind to people when you go out uh, for a meal with them? Are they kind to the staff? You know, do they thank the waiter when he brings them something, uh, or are they dismissive of anyone who who doesn't uh, you know who has no use for them kind of thing? Right? Uh, C is compatibility potential. So, uh, and compatibility, by the way, the biggest kind of compatibility that predicts uh, happiness in a marriage is that of values. You know, do you share faith? Do you share values? Do you uh, think the same uh, similarly about how important family is, how important faith is, um, you know, how you practice your how you practice your faith, right? And and E in faces is examples of other relationships. So again, how do they get along with others, with their siblings, with their friends, with their co-workers? You know, do they have long-term uh, friendships where people are, you know, they are committed to them, they will do things for them, uh, they, they feel valued by them, right? Those are good signs. They're really good signs of a person if they have strong relationships with other people. And then uh, the S in faces is the skills uh, for communication and relationship building, right? Uh, communication, expression of affection, um, you know, how you complain, how you uh, behave when, when there's a conflict. And those things, by the way, are uh, not that hard to learn. You know, so so in in terms of everything, you know, if a person meets all the other criteria, they're solid. You know, they come. Uh, you know, they they have other things that you're looking for. They can learn how to express themselves. You know, they can learn how you know what your love language is, and you know how you know how to express love to you. You know, that's it's really not the end of the game. If they have a good conscience, for example, if they want to to uh, make their spouse happy, then it's easy to learn how. Right. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I love it. Faces. I love that. I remember that acronym. Um, so just go on, going back more into this question, um, <clears throat> especially in the online dating world or long distance relationship. Right. While um, it is helpful to research the person, do your due diligence and find out what you can about this person before you commit. Where do you draw the line between being a stalker and uh, Googling the person and just getting to know them? Are there any guidelines that we should adhere to? Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure if I have any clear guidelines, but in the days of um, in the World Wide Web, it would be silly not to do some basic background check, you know, what uh, what is their presence on social media you know what uh, how do they show up on a google search uh, you know what kind of stuff do they post who are they with what, you know those are just very uh, basic things that i don't think um, i don't know if anyone wouldn't do in, in today's world you know um, once you do that though um, obviously it tells you some things but we also need to recognize that a social media account of a person is a very curated version of who they are uh, you know we don't post the yucky stuff of our lives we obviously post you know the good things, yeah. the good things right <laughs> and, and so it's only it's only the beginning it certainly shouldn't be the end of it and uh, uh, stalking i'm not sure what that would get you in the sense that if uh, if you are in relationship with a person you don't need to stalk right you can actually ask them questions yourself and and uh, um, and see how they answer and how they respond and how you communicate but uh, a basic uh, you know social media and google search is uh, i would say like a, a no brainer you know uh, um there's a lot of things that you said today and um so grateful that you have said those things that I wish I had known <clears throat> before I got married um, because, you know, one of the things that is very common and normal in my culture is the arranged marriage or sometimes even forced marriage. But that's not our topic today. Um, I only mention that because when you're involved in that society where you have no preferences or anything like that and you just marry whoever your parents choose for you. One of the things that's undermined, I think, or downplayed is the importance of mutual physical attraction, right? Um, that is something I 
that's a big deal for me, important personally, but it's not the num definitely not the number one on the list. But it's you know important for me to be mutually attracted to the person you're spending the rest of your life with. And from my observation, it comes off as generally in the whole Muslim world, um, it's kind of downplayed or at least dismissed or not given enough emphasis, right? Do you? Uh, what are your two cents on this? Is that really just being shallow or is that really important? Okay. Uh, so very important question. And maybe in some cultures, uh, my experience is that in some cultures, it's actually overemphasized. Uh, so, you know, so where I come from, India, Pakistan, um, looks is extremely emphasized, you know, when you are, uh, when you, you are meeting someone. You know, even if you look at uh, look at ads, you know, mat matrimonial ads that were published in in the newspapers back in the day. I don't know if they still are or not, uh, but they all ask for very similar thing. Tall uh, is the number one thing. Tall, slim, and fair skinned. You know, so um, these are. Uh, I would say that looks are actually even emphasized by the parents, not only by by the by the potential person right and when we're talking about looks um, you know the thing is i definitely believe that you sh you should pay attention to it because uh, the physical part of the relationship you know physical intimacy is a very important part of a marriage relationship um, what is not that healthy is to have a very set and clear idea of what that would look like so Sense. what I'm saying is be a little bit more open-minded, you mm. know. Uh, what uh, what we find uh, young people focusing on is that they have a very, very strong list of criteria to meet uh, before they will even meet the person, right? So they have to be tall. They have to be slim. They have to be fair-skinned. They have to be, uh, you know, dress sizes. I mean, people specify dress sizes, you know, that I'm not interested in anyone uh, above a certain dress size. And I'm like, hello, that's <laughs> going to change for sure. Right? Right. <laughs> so it's yeah, not Allah. a great thing to base your happiness long term. Wow. Happiness on what somebody's dress size is. And um, <laughs> so as long as you are a bit open-minded and you are willing to meet the person and, uh, you know, looks again grow on you, right? Yeah. So even if they're not uh, drop-dead gorgeous uh, that you believe right in the beginning, uh, you know, as long as there is some pleasantness, right, uh, if you find them pleasant and, uh, you know, again, personality is a big part of it, right? So I often ask people, you know, when they're trying to make a decision and my, my first question to them is, do you like them, <laughs> right? Do you actually enjoy spending time with them? Do you, you know, do they make you happy? Do they make you smile? Uh, you know, when you think about them, do you like, do you do it with fondness? Those are really important things. One should not uh, downplay them. Very often what I find is that, uh, that people who have made their decisions based on like a set criteria and not paid attention to to this, uh, what does your heart say? You know, they've just said that, you know, he had a good job and she had a, you know, she, um, you know, was, met all the criteria. My mom loved her. Everyone in the community loved her and all of that. That's not enough. You know, what do you think? You know, right. Yeah. Uh, like you have to get along with this person for the rest of your life. And yes, you will work at it, but you need some, you know, you need a little bit of pilot light, right? A spark to get the fire going at least. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, so after all of these uh, issues that it's uh, we covered it, we addressed it, right? Now we're still finding the situation where we're not finding our partners, our soulmates, right? We're not finding that love we're looking for, and a lot of times it can become disappointing, demoralizing, and very draining and exhausting, both mentally and emotionally. It's kind of like looking for a job. You put in your resume, but you're not getting a call back or they said we hired somebody else and it's, you know, demoralizing. So how do we continue with the search despite the disappointments? How do we cope with the rejections even? Uh, 
Yeah, that's um, that's an important question. And in fact, uh, recently, I'm sure the recording must be somewhere, but we did a whole session on uh, what was called the emotional roller coaster of finding a spouse, <laughs> and and we talked about many of these, um, you know, the many aspects of this question. But to put it very briefly, you know, first to recognize that it's not you. You know, the whole situation is stressful. Uh, you know, everyone finds it stressful. And for some people, it's easier to be matched than others. And, uh, you know, it, there's not, it's nothing that's wrong with you. It's, it's, uh, it's an imperfect situation, right? It's an imperfect uh, system. And, uh, you know, whatever emotions you're going through, you know, be learn to be kind with yourself, you know, um, you know, just be a friend to yourself through the process right and um, and uh, and keep going with faith it's not easy you know you have to recognize that again it's not you it the situation is challenging and uh, um, you know don't you know the only advice i would give is don't make it harder by by uh, engaging in self criticism right that's uh, that's actually going to just make it worse you know beating yourself up is going to make it worse uh, at the best you can you know be kind be compassionate to yourself um, you know focus on other aspects of your life that that you do have some control over this is something you don't have control over right you can certainly focus you can you can do your best you can meet people you can um, learn relationship skills you can do all of that and at the end of the day it's somebody else's decision as well you know uh, even if you decide the other person may or may choose uh, not to and that doesn't say anything about you it's uh, it's the nature of the game you know uh, it's uh, people have uh, weird reasons why they make decisions and it may be absolutely nothing to do with you and uh, it's going to be hard to to decipher why somebody chose against it they may know they, they may think they know but uh, generally those things are also can be unconscious right so so just keep reminding yourself that uh, and keep in the game you know that's your best uh, you know your best hope and 100 people can say no to you you only need one person right to say yes at the end of the day absolutely and bunch and bunch of du'as you know inshallah um but we'll go ahead and end it on that note um unless you have any final thoughts um no i think we've covered a lot <laughs> yeah we did alhamdulillah thank you uh well marzia thank you so much you have been an absolute delight to have on the show i look forward to having more conversations with you in the future but inshallah but before we let you go I do have one final question for you. What is your message to humanity? Be kind to yourself and others. Hassan, I love it. That's my message too. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, that's all for today. Thank you guys so much. And uh, join us next week and we will offer a platform that will enable you, inshallah, to find the right one for you, your soulmate, love, and all that good stuff, inshallah. And I pray to Allah that He blesses all of the singles of the world with righteous and compatible mates for our souls. Until then, this is your host, King Abu, saying so long, and remember to treat each other with kindness. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Mindful Meeting Podcast. If this episode has positively affected you in any way and inspired you to continue empowering and molding the complete family, then please continue to support us by spreading the word across your social media. We'd greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review. We value your feedback. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a topic suggestion, visit our website at www.mindful-meeting.com. Thank <laughs> you.